Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. I want you to try to imagine with me something, a society in which all of its citizens live in comfort and enjoy, treat others fairly, and always do the right thing. I know what you're thinking. Dream on, Dave. Dream on, right? Unimaginable. You might be even be thinking impossible. Yet here's the deal. This is the very offer that God extends to the world. Have you thought of it like that? This is exactly why he came. It's the offer that he extends to the entire world. His salvation for all. His great invitation, what I am referring to in this message today, his great invitation to every society, every group of people that have ever existed are offered his gift of peace and joy and justice and righteousness. This is the great message of Isaiah chapter 55, where we will be this morning. And as we've seen in our study of Isaiah, God's very special servant, his son, Jesus, as we know, died for the sins of the entire world. In fact, we finished up last week with Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12. And it says, he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Need I say that includes you and me, right? We're in that group. He died to offer salvation to the entire world. And I think we all know that pretty much sums up John 3.16, doesn't it? Yeah. For God so loved the world. Isaiah 55 is an urgent and passionate call to a lost world. It is the great invitation for all who would choose to believe. And what God offers us, folks, it's just way too good to pass up. Would you agree? Way too good to pass up. So let's look at this great invitation, its proposals. The first thing we want to notice, verse 1, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. The invitation is a cry from the very depth of God's heart. Come, everybody, come. The people invited to come are those who have thirsty souls. Anybody thirsty this morning? It's, it's, it's the invitation to all who have thirsty souls, dry and empty hearts. It's to those whose souls are, are like a desert dry and barren, eagerly seeking and longing to have their thirst quenched. And God says, come to me, the only place 
right, where we can find satisfaction for this thirst and for this hunger. To those whose souls are completely starving, destitute, and unable to find anything that would satisfy the emptiness within, the Lord says, come to me. Let all who are spiritually thirsty and poor and needy come to me. Come to the Lord. And what specifically is the offer? What are we to come and receive? In a word, salvation. The thirsty, hungry soul can be saved and can be delivered from its thirst and hunger. Now, that's good news, isn't it? No wonder the gospel message is called good news. That's good news. Jesus promises complete contentment to everyone who will drink of the water that he offers. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, a great verse. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let anyone who desires take the free gift of the water of life. His offer of soul-satisfying water, good news here, continues and still stands today. Amen. And I am so thankful for that. I know you are as well. The Lord not only offers living water, but he also offers, Isaiah tells us in this first verse, wine and milk. As most of you probably are familiar with, in biblical times, wine was just as important as water. Often the water was not fit to drink, so wine was added to the water. The reason for it, the wine killed the bacteria and made the water drinkable back in those times. In the Bible, wine is often used as a picture of joy. It was used at times of feasting and happy celebrations. Wine is also a picture in the Bible of the Holy Spirit. I like that. Holy Spirit brings to us what? Then joy. Picture of the Holy Spirit who enters a child of God at the moment of salvation and allows the redeemed one to experience what Peter refers to as an inexpressible and glorious joy. God doesn't just save us, he also fills us with his joy. Are you joyful this morning? Smile at me. <laughs> remember what Jesus did at the wedding of Cana? You all remember that, right? It was his first miracle in his, when he began his public ministry. Took six empty stone pots and asked for them to be filled with water. And then what did he do? He transformed that water into wine, didn't he? You see, this is exactly, it's a great picture of exactly what God longs to do in every single one of our lives. He takes our old, stony, dry, empty hearts. Fills them with the saving, satisfying water of his gospel and transforms us with the power of his spirit. Milk is essential, as all of you know, for healthy growth, right? 
Milk is the first substance newborn babies receive for their nourishment. Milk contains all of the essential nutrients needed to transform a baby into a healthy child. Are you seeing the connection and how that crosses over? Also providing for us that we might become healthy children of God. Milk in the Bible is a picture of what? The Word of God. Not only does God give us the water of life that saves us and the Spirit of God that gives us joy, He also provides His Word that helps us grow up to be strong in the things that pertain to God. Romans 14, 17 tells us the kingdom of God is inside of us, which is what happens when we give our lives to Christ. He comes and makes his home within us. Therefore, the kingdom lives within us. Righteousness, peace, and joy are available then even now. Good news, right? The water of life, the wine of joy, the milk of growth, and his word are ours for the taking. And thirst is the only prerequisite. And did you notice the price tag on these items? It's all free. Anybody here like free? I know you do, right? <laughs> I mentioned last night, it, I'm always kind of tickled when I hear others, like the guys, borderline bragging. <laughs> about the bargain they got <laughs> on whatever, you know, a new vehicle or a new motorcycle. Oh, man, no, you know, I have no problem sharing because they feel really good about the bargain they got. Hey, God is offering us the bargain of all time. Amen? Yeah. Why don't we brag about that? <laughs> Instead of the whatever, should we be bragging on what Jesus has done for us and the bargain that it brings to us? Free. No cost. Wow. Let's look at this where we see that the price is right in the offering that God brings us in this great invitation. The first part of verse 2, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? As you all know, all too well, the world makes you pay for everything you're going to get. Religion even will make you work for every blessing you think that you will receive. Sin and flesh and the world all make you pay dearly for any promise of contentment they may offer you. Which may explain, I think, why we struggle like we do with the offer that God brings to us. Nevertheless, God places every offer on the table and says, go ahead, take it all. It's free. It is free. It is free. He offers salvation. He offers contentment to all who would come to him free of any charge. There's an old story that's been around for a long time told about a rich businessman who 
was really kind of disturbed and frustrated when he saw a fisherman sitting on the dock lazily right by his boat. Why aren't you out there fishing, he asked. Because I've caught enough fish for today, said the fisherman. Well, why don't you go out there and catch more fish? (laughs) What would I do with them, the fisherman said. Well, you could earn more money, came the impatient reply, and and buy a better boat so that you could go deeper and catch more fish. You could purchase nylon nets, catch even more fish, and make more money. Soon, you'd have a fleet of boats, and you would be rich like me. The fisherman asked, then what would I do? The businessman said, you could sit down and enjoy life. The fisherman says, well, what do you think I'm doing now? (laughs) I like what one poet has said on the topic of contentment. As a rule, man's a fool. (laughs) When it's hot, he wants it cool, and when it's cool, he wants it hot. Always wanting what is not. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? And not just about us men. Come on, ladies. We live in a world filled with discontented people who do not seem to be very content or satisfied at all with their lives or their place in life. Why is that? I think the answer lies in the fact that people are looking for true contentment in places, in people, and in things that can never ever bring or provide the contentment that they're looking for. Carnal pleasures and worldly possessions don't get it done. What they will do is leave a person high and dry and empty inside. The person's soul will be like a wasteland, hungry and starving for something that will bring to it and give it a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction, something every single one of us are built to desire. The part that we want, the reason we want those things is not wrong. Where we get messed up is where we go looking for them, right? Next, Isaiah follows all of this up with, but he's going to give to us the prospects of the invitation. We've seen the proposal. Then he's going to be talking about the prospects. Now, in verse 1, we're told, did you notice, four times that we're to come. Four times we see that. Here in the second half, we're going to read in a moment into the, verse th- into the third verse, we're encouraged four times to listen. Come four times, listen four times. Listen to what? To God's voice, to His Word, to His great invitation. Let's look at the verses, picking it up at the second half of verse 2. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. The Hebrew word for listen means that we are to listen carefully, not haphazardly, not like halfway, 50%, 
100%. We are to listen carefully. We are to listen persistently. We are to continue listening to his voice. All the while, while we are being filled with the nourishment that he provides. What are the prospects for the person who accepts this free gift, this free offer? Well, these two verses, the second half of verse 2 and verse 3, reveal at least three offers, three opportunities that await those who receive the Lord's free gift. First of all, we see that the opportunity for salvation is made available to us. It says, listen, that you may live. That's talking about salvation. That's letting us know, folks, that this listening and the reason why it shows up four times, by the way, give ear is another way of saying listen is letting us know that this is a matter of life and death. That puts some seriousness on it. Wouldn't you agree? Listen so that you may live. Wow. When God makes his offer to a lost soul and that person accepts Jesus as your Savior, they enter into a salvation relationship with God. At that moment, check this out now, as we just kind of do a quick jet tour through some of God's word in the New Testament. At that moment, they are delivered from the condemnation of sin, Romans 8.1. They are saved from the wrath of God, Romans 5.9. They pass from spiritual death into spiritual life, John 5.24. They become a brand new creature, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Thank God for his salvation. God, help us to never, ever get apathetic about it, complacent about it, or take it for granted. His salvation is a great invitation to us all. Then there is the opportunity for fulfillment. The phrase richest affairs is actually in the original text the Hebrew is referring to and talking about abundance. Therefore, in this context, it is referring to new life. The old passes away, new life coming, life to the full, John 10.10 10 tells us. He causes the saved soul to rest in what Jesus has accomplished. The saved one is no longer seeking satisfaction from the world. Jesus is and remains through all things, more than enough. Is that true of you today? Is he more than enough? Isaiah also mentions the opportunity for safety and security. God's promise is that he will make an everlasting covenant with you. That's what he says here. When a person comes and accepts God's free offer, and they drink the water of life, God makes an unconditional, everlasting covenant with them. Those who come to God and accept His offer, and by the way, let me add, on His terms. Right? Kind of a little important clause I just threw in there. <laughs> on His terms. When those come and, and accept that on his terms, drink of the water of life, God makes this unconditional offer. Those who come are promised that their salvation will last for all eternity. This is 
the great promise, folks, that is attached to the great invitation throughout God's word. It offers a forever warranty. Can I say it like that? <laughs> we are safe and secure in Jesus. Jesus gave us an amazing promise in John chapter 10, verse 28. He says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. And Peter tells us that through faith we are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last days. That salvation referring to our Lord's coming when our salvation that we experience now is fulfilled, finds its culmination in our being with Him forever. That's 1 Peter 1.5. God provides the water. He is the bread of life. Obviously, all of this referring to Jesus Himself. He is all of those things, is He not? Everyone who truly comes to God receives the fullness of his son, Jesus. Christ floods the thirsty, hungry soul with the fullness of his spirit. The everlasting covenant, the unfailing love that we read up here that's attached to that covenant promised to David. Check this out, church. The one that was promised to David centuries ago now becomes a promise to you and I as well. The covenant God made with David, he now makes with us through his son, Jesus. Wow, what a great thing. What a great invitation. That covenant made to David obviously refers to the royal establishment of David's seed, right? Let's read verse 4 and 5 now. See, I have made him a witness to the people, a ruler and commander of the people. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you. Because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. David had been promised an unending dynasty, one that would culminate in the promised Messiah. Paul referred to these very verses in Acts chapter 13, verse 34, to show the faithfulness of God and the very fact that the resurrection of Christ was its fulfillment. The promise of the covenant was fulfilled in the resurrection of Jesus, and Paul wants us to be assured of that. So verse 4 is referring to a new leader who will assume David's rule, obviously pointing to Christ, the Messiah. Verse 5 pictures the nations running to Zion, being attracted to Jerusalem and to the God of Israel. You remember, as we have talked about during the exile and captivity, Israel was sent to nations that it did not know. But there will be a day when the reverse of that will happen. We are given an amazing picture of that, folks, in the story of Ruth. It's an amazing picture pointing forward to what God was doing, part of his plan. Ruth, the Moabite, giving us the idea, or the, the picture, the, the promise of God that Gentiles also are a part of this very covenant. Not just to the Jewish people, 
but to Gentiles as well. And now we see the invitation is being changed to an admonition. Look at verse 6 and 7 with me. It says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. More good news, right? We are being given a warning here, folks, in case you didn't notice that. People cannot wait, dare not wait too long. No procrastinating when it comes to the things of God. We're being admonished to go after the Lord while he may be found. Call on him now while he will hear, while he is near. There's an amazing picture of this in the New Testament. It's in a parable that Jesus told, found in Luke chapter 18. I want to just quickly read it to you. It starts at verse 35. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked, what's happening? They they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Ooh, I could go hours on that one. (laughs) Suffice it to say, what do you do when you recognize, like when you're in a place like this or ever, do you realize and are you sensitive to Jesus passing by? And if so, what are you doing about it? He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. And I love this. But he shouted all the more. Persistent. Recognizing Jesus is coming by. The time is now. The moment is now. No putting it off. They may not, there may not be a tomorrow. He shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want for me to do for you? Lord, I just want to see, oh man, the spiritual application. Is that your heart? Lord, I just want to see you. And what you're doing. I want to see you. I want to seek you. I want your spiritual vision, your heart, so that I can be your hands and your feet in this lost, dark world. I just want to see, he said. Then Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, it doesn't say later on, (laughs) it says immediately he received his sight. And then I love what he does in response. And hopefully this describes us as we once again are reminded of our salvation and the cost that it cost the Son of God for us. Amen. Look at his response. He followed Jesus praising God. When all the people saw it, they too began to praise God. I love that. In other words, don't even think about putting this off. 
and, and don't even think about continuing to do wrong, thinking that tomorrow you'll get it right. But instead, turn to the Lord that He may have mercy on you in the here and now. It's interesting to note that the rest of the chapter, verses 16 through 13, is really a call to repentance. No matter how sinful you might be, God says if you'll come to Him, He will have mercy on you and He will freely pardon. Woohoo! Having been confronted about his adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband Uriah, David said, once he was confronted and got busted, I have sinned against God. What's, what's so interesting, yet in that very same verse where David makes that confession, Nathan the prophet says to David, your sins are forgiven. You will not die. <laughs> that 2 Samuel 12, 13, God, church, is so merciful. That would have been a good time to say, Amen. Amen. The moment we make confession, there is forgiveness. Look at verse 8 and 9 with me now. For, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the, says, declares the Lord, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The question arises from this verse, how high are, how high are the heavens? Anybody have any idea? Pretty high. <laughs> well, we're told by astronomers that they have discovered galaxies out there that they estimate at being 17 billion light years away. I, I, I don't have any way to process that. I don't know about you. 17 billion light years away. The mercy of verse 7 is foreign to us because our thoughts and our ways are not like His. <laughs> this is not just a statement about logic, folks, but about the way, salvation, the way of salvation itself. That's why it's ridiculous for us to try to tell the Lord what to do in any situation. The only logical thing, the only wise thing that we can say is, as I talk things over with you, Lord, I realize that you see things I don't see. You see things that I can't see. Therefore, your will be done not mine. That's some wisdom, folks. Amen. Coming back to the truth and understanding and admitting to ourselves, he might know a little bit more than you. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Verse 10 and 11. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, 
and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. There's probably not a preacher on the planet who does not love that verse. In fact, I don't mind admitting to you, I pray that verse every time I lead a Bible study or preach a sermon. I just kind of let God know I'm counting on his promises, <laughs> especially this one. It will do what it is purposed to do. I'm trusting him with that. As most of you know, we were in Yellowstone recently, and I've been telling people just how healthy the National Park is looking. Been a few years since I've been there, but we were there, I don't know, four years or so after the fire of 88 and, and uh, saw what it looked like. And man, today, it's looking really, really good. New growth everywhere. Flourishing growth everywhere, and, and, and as you might could imagine, if the winter we've just had, there is no shortage of water. The lakes are up to the brim, literally. Time and the nourishing snow and rain have served their purpose, have made a difference. The same thing is true of us, church. We seem so dry and dusty and hopeless at times, but when the Word of God falls on us, suddenly all kinds of hidden potential lying beneath the surface of our hearts and souls begins to emerge and beautiful things begin to happen. The more we allow ourselves to be snowed on or rained on, the more beauty and the more growth that will come forth from our lives. So daily, my encouragement to you, God's encouragement to you, is to allow yourself to soak. Get rid of the umbrella. <laughs> Lose the raincoat and soak in the Word of God. And allow Him to pour on you nourishment and growth. You as well recounting His promise that His Word will not come back empty. It will accomplish its purpose in what he was sent to do. God's word will not return to him empty. His word will bear fruit. It will accomplish his purpose. It will convict us sinners, lead us to Christ, and instruct us in the way of righteousness. Back a little while ago when we were in the 40th chapter of Isaiah, we saw there where Isaiah said, the word of our God stands forever. And this verse expands on that very truth. God's plans and purposes will be accomplished as surely as the snow and rain waters the earth and makes it fruitful. Verses 12 and 13, now you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be 
for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. My referencing Yellowstone a moment ago can also be seen in these verses. The chapter closes with an amazing figurative description of even the response of nature to all of this good news, to all of the goodness of God. The mountains and the hills will burst into song. The trees of the fields will clap their hands. Hey, let me just say this and then I'll leave it alone. Where does that leave you and me? When we come together in a time of worship and praise. The disappearance of thorn bushes and briars, a.k.a. weeds, <laughs> symbolizes the removal. Check this, folks, check this out. Symbolizes the removal of the curse of death that follows sin. Wow. And are replaced by that which pertains to life. Life to the full here and now, life eternal later. All of this reflects God's power and his love for us. The present world is wearing out like an old pair of jeans and will be rolled away and changed someday. The vision of the future here, the coming kingdom, the kingdom age, includes a new earth and the new heaven in which righteousness will dwell. And all I can say is, oh, what a day that will be. Amen? There's a parable-like story about a woman who was traveling in the mountains and found a precious stone lying in a stream. And she picked it up and put it with her belongings. The next day, she, she met another traveler who was hungry, and the wise and kind woman opened up her bag to share some of her food. The hungry travelers happened to see the precious stone and asked the woman to give that to him instead of the food. And she did, without hesitation. The traveler left so excited about his new good fortune, he knew the stone was worth enough to provide for him for a really long, long time. But a few days later, he came back to return the stone to this wise and kind woman. He said, I've been thinking. I know how valuable this stone is, but I want to give it back in the hope that you can give me something even more valuable. Give me what you have within you that enabled you to give me that stone. That wise woman could let go of that prize, Jim, because she knew true contentment in her heart. She, she didn't need riches to bring to her joy. She had joy in her heart. What about you? Do you have true contentment today? Is Jesus more than enough? 
Have you heard God's call to your heart to come to Him and never stop coming to Him? What stream are you drinking from these days? How are you doing with the great invitation that He offers us free of charge? Father, we come before you this morning and we want to say thank you for this chapter 55 of Isaiah and the truth that it brings, the challenge that it brings, and maybe even for some the conviction that it brings. I pray, God, that we would not procrastinate that we would not put off what needs to happen in this moment in terms of doing business with you in making sure that all of our hearts belong to you in making sure that you are priority one in making sure that it is only in you that we will ever find true godly contentment. It's all in you. You offer this great invitation. It comes at a great price. Free to us, yet it costs you so much. May we not, God, take it for granted. But may we take it seriously. May we come to you, bringing to you really all that we have to bring to you, ourselves, our lives, our surrender, our devotion, our commitment. And may it be unending as your love for us is unending. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up, lift up my heart.